orchestra, instrumentalists. Thank you. John, you've been in churches all across our state. Have you found better musicians anywhere? <laughs> no. <Absolutely>. Right answer. <coughs> Good answer. <coughs> that was an unsolicited favorable comment about the pastor. <coughs> I wanted to follow up on the reading that Emily gave uh, at the beginning of the service. The setting for what happened um, prior to Jesus' statement about the, about the worship and what worship is, what true worship is all about. It's a familiar setting of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. That's what it's uh, customarily known as. But there's some interesting dynamics that happen here, and I think it, it's very instructive for us how God wants us to reach out to others and how specifically, even more so, God is reaching down to us. How he wants us to reach out to others and how he wants to reach out to us. So there's a lot of different things going on in this, in this encounter that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. John 4, verse 1. Now when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This is, you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he. 
And then it follows the disciples come up and wonder why he's talking to this woman. The woman perceives that he is a prophet and she hurries to the village and tells the folks there what he has done, what he has said, and brings some back. And many Samaritans come to faith in Jesus as, as a result believing that he is the Messiah. Bow with me. Father, I know Jesus went to Samaria for a reason. And specifically, it must have been to have a meeting with this woman to show her the way to salvation and to give us an example to follow. So help us heed these instructions well and incorporate them into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always kind of interesting when you get on an elevator, wherever you are, where else can you stand three inches from somebody and never look them in the eye or utter a word? It's like when the door closes on the elevator, a door is also closing between everybody standing on that elevator. And so, you know me, I, sometimes I try to lighten the environment a little bit. And at the hospital, it only has three floors, but all the elevators have a fourth button on the keypad. And so I'm getting on someone else is pushing the buttons. I'll say four, please. And they'll look at me like, you're crazy. There's not a fourth floor. I, you know, I'll say something like, yeah, but I'm going on up. And it's, all, it's, it's uh, an opportunity to talk about going up to heaven, to um, just broach that subject. I remember uh, people being close to each other and not speaking to each other. Sometimes on vacation, we'll be on a boat. And it's, it's ironic, but somebody away on the shore or on a bridge will wave at the boat and everybody in the boat will wave back if you're leaving harbor or coming in. But then those people standing right beside each other on the bridge or on the shore in the harbor will turn and walk away without speaking to the person standing right beside them. We're taught from an early age not to speak to strangers. And there are times in our own lives as adults when we don't want to speak to strangers. When you go to a big city like Atlanta or New York, People tell you, don't make eye contact with anybody. Just look straight ahead and keep walking. That's what it has come to. Well, in this morning's passage, Jesus finds himself in a situation where everything tells him to keep silent. Tradition, religion, rules of etiquette and propriety. Jesus doesn't follow the rules, though, does he? He ignores traditions and he breaks the sound barrier and he talks to a stranger. And so in these verses, this passage known as the woman at the well, God is trying to show us a lot. Now let's start with the background. Here is Jesus. He's on journey, it says, from Judea down in the south up to Galilee in the north. Right in the middle of this territory is this land called Samaria. It's inhabited by folks who, who once were Jews, but intermarried with other folks, other religions, other cultures. And so they weren't true blood Jewish anymore. They were kind of half-bloods. It says he's been walking a few days, and it's now the sixth hour. The Jews counted the days, the hours from 6 a.m. So the sixth hour would be high noon, 12 noon. 
They've been walking it for a while. It's a hot day. Jesus is tired and thirsty, so he sits down to rest at a well while his disciples go into town to buy food. You know the disciples, it takes all 12 of them to do that. Well, he's sitting at the well and something strange happens. A woman from town makes her way from the village up towards the well, which is a small distance away, up a little hill. And as she makes her way up the hill, she looks ahead and sees somebody at the well. She doesn't recognize, but it appears at a distance to be a man. As she gets closer, she's able to recognize that he's not a Samaritan. He's a stranger, a foreigner, a Jew. And she's a little concerned, just thinking out loud here. She's, she's probably thinking, what's a Jew doing at our well in midday? But I don't need to worry about it. He'll probably pretend I'm not even here. If I ignore him, I'm sure he will ignore me. And since no Jew wants to have anything to do with a Samaritan, the feeling is mutual. We Samaritans don't care for Jews either because they've been looking down on us for generations. If that's not enough, I'm a woman and men don't talk to women in public. So I'm safe and I'm sure he will recognize the only reason I even go to the well at noon is because I can't go at the traditional times of day. He'll recognize that I'm sort of an outcast in my village and the other women in the village won't even allow me to be with them at the well in the early morning or evening hours when most women come out and go to the well. That will make him put as much space between him and me as possible. In fact, he'll probably turn his back and get up and move further away as I approach the well to avoid having contact with me, an unclean Samaritan. So she keeps walking, and, and as she approaches, to her surprise, Jesus does not get up and move. He does not turn his back on her. He does not ignore her. She's thinking, fine, he must be tired. And as she begins to draw water, suddenly he speaks to her. And not only does he speak, he asks something of her. Why in the world is he talking to me? Why is he asking me for water? Is he flirting with me? Notice that her response to Jesus is not a, Okay, here's a cup of water. It's not even a no, I won't give you water. She asks, why are you even talking to me? Why me? She can't get over the fact he's talking. Is he going to make fun of her? We should be asking that question. Why is Jesus talking to this woman? He's not supposed to. No other Jewish person in that day would have spoken to a Samaritan. No other man in that day would have spoken to a woman in public. And anyone else would have understood that she was an unclean, impure woman with an unsavory past and reputation. Why is Jesus broaching this conversation with her? Well, to get the answer we're looking for, you've got to look at an earlier verse. In verse 4, it says, He left Judea, departed again to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. My question is, why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Why? Most Jews hated Samaritans so much and wanted to avoid them at all costs that they were willing to take an extra two days in order to go around Samaria. If you're leaving Judea in the south, you can cross over the Jordan River to the east side where the Decapolis is and then head north and then after Samaria, curve back into Galilee from the east when you reach the Northern Territory. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Was he in a hurry? 
Did he not have two days to take to go around and, and avoid contact with Samaritans? Well, no, because it says in verse 40 of chapter 4, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days. So he stayed, he had time to hang around a few extra days in Sychar to talk to the folks and to teach them more about God. So obviously he was in no hurry. Have you ever noticed that Jesus, when he encounters somebody, he never says, I'm too busy. When he's on a journey, he never is in a hurry. He always has time to stop and talk to the woman who grabs his hem or the short little man who's up in the sycamore tree. Whenever he's on a journey somewhere, he always has time for people. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a leading of the Holy Spirit to take this route, and he had to follow God's lead. And it seems that the encounter we're reading about here where Jesus meets this no-account woman in a backwater town while sitting by a well is the very purpose for which God sent him there. So we might learn God's purposes here and listen in. Why is this important? You, you know Jesus' primary ministry was to the Jewish people. And that's even what he told his disciples. We are to go first to all the towns and villages of the people of Israel, not Samaria, not the Gentiles, only to the lost of the house of Israel. But Jesus wanted to model for his disciples and for us to make it clear that the Samaritans, that God's love, God's seeking love, chases after every one of us. God's love is not bound by any human barrier that we might erect between us and others. Any distinctions we might presuppose that exist between us and others. There is no barrier that God's seeking love will not break down, go around, jump over, dig under, break through. He is breaking a sound barrier here. And it is a clear demonstration that God is always seeking. His love never gives up. So when Jesus encounters this woman, there are two questions I want us to ask. What does God want, how does God want me to reach out to others and how does God reach out to me. In other words, first of all, let's put ourselves in Jesus' place and ask, how can I be Jesus' instrument or representative to other people? How can I pattern my ministry or my, my witness after Jesus? And the second question is equally important. What can I learn about this passage about God wanting to reach me? Because in addition to putting ourselves in the position of of reaching out to others. We also need to put ourselves in the position of the person that Jesus is relating to, the woman. Putting ourselves in the place of the woman, we need to ask, how does God want to reach me? First of all, though, how does God want me to reach out to others? What does it teach us? Well, it teaches us that God has taken any human division we might manufacture to categorize and divide people and he has shown that those human divisions in no way measures a person's value or worth. But that's exactly the opposite from what we, we people do with divisions and distractions and differences. Look at all the major divisions Jesus overcame while talking to this woman. It was a racial division, Jewish Samaritan, much like Israeli-Palestinian today. There was a gender division, male, female. 
And there was a religious division, pure religious Jew and a woman of ill repute, Samaritan. Take the racial division, look around you in the world today. Every single armed conflict in the world is being fought along racial lines, sometimes even in the name of religion. Our world is divided because we use the differences between people in order to assign value to them. We say those people are different from me, therefore they are less valuable than my kind of people. And we base those divisions on all kinds of arbitrary rules and regulations. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They, they aren't educated like I am. They don't have this, the same kind of culture or background or family that I have. Seldom do we come out and say that that person is of less value, but, but what we do say is that we're trying to reach out to those people, but not to those people. We say, anybody is welcome here at First Baptist. Anybody is welcome to come through the doors of our church. But that's not what Jesus does. At least that's not where he stops. Jesus doesn't just sit by the well and say, okay, everybody, whosoever will, may come. He didn't say, listen up, I want to make this clear. All Samaritans are welcome to come up to the well and talk to me now. How many Samaritans would have jumped at the chance to approach Jesus, much less talk to him? Zero. Try none. But Jesus went to them, didn't he? To seek them out. That's why he had to pass through Samaria because there was a woman there that needed to know the Messiah and through her to model for the disciples and for us that everybody needs to know of God's love. That's what God's love is all about, seeking those who are in need of forgiveness and grace, which is incidentally applies to every one of us here within these walls outside the walls. Every resident of Tifton, every person on this planet, Jesus is not a passive Lord who sits back and says, you're welcome if you want to come. He goes out seeking. And so the question for us is, how much do we go out and seek, particularly those who are different from ourselves? It's easy to reach out to our next door neighbor, people who are like us, have similar backgrounds, education, standard of living, but are we willing to seek those who are different? I read statistics recently, probably from our Georgia Baptist Mission Board. There are 800 different ethnic groups in America today. 800 ethnic groups. Are we reaching out to them? Do we even know they exist? We, we have a, a Hispanic mission. We have a Vietnamese mission. Someone said, you have a Vietnamese mission in Tifton? Yes, there are at least 200 Vietnamese in Tifton. And they, they look at me like they're surprised. And if they're from a different community, I say, there are probably 200 Vietnamese in your community too. There are folks from every culture, background, language, filtering throughout our country. Can you imagine how, how powerful it would be if just one person from another country comes to faith in Christ and then returns home, perhaps a Muslim, returning home to a Muslim country and becoming a Christian witness there is so much more powerful, such a greater impact than a Caucasian going 
and trying to tell Muslim folks about Jesus. We have the world at our doorsteps and the opportunity to, to tell them about Jesus and reach them for Christ and then send them out as missionaries is incumbent upon us to do all we can to tell them about Jesus. Where do we find people? Where did Jesus find this woman? Just at a well, a place that she came to every day to draw water, just a mundane, everyday sort of a place. Where do we often mix with the greatest diversity of people? Walmart, <laughs> the grocery. I mean, if you want to see different people, go to Walmart. Sometimes the people there are the ones we need to meet and reach, and it won't be in carefully planned out environments, but simply when we're out there in the world going about our daily business, when they're midst of the world like Jesus was, keeping our eyes open to the opportunities. That's where God wants us to reach those whom he loves. We just got to break the sound barrier and reach out. But this passage also says a lot about how God wants to reach out to me. What, is, what does this have to teach us about God's love for me? There's no human barrier that can stop God's love. No barrier can stop his grace from coming to us if we are willing and open to receive it. You and I are here this morning, and, and even, us, even those of us sitting here probably can think of all kinds of things that, that might prevent God from coming to us. Not the least is our sin. Our daily sins, as well as our rebellious and selfish hearts that form a barrier between ourselves and God. But thankfully, that's not a barrier that stops God. Because the whole point of us being here today in this place and worshiping God is that Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin in order that we might be forgiven and have full and open access to the Father once more. You and I are sinners but there's nothing that can prevent God from loving us and pouring his grace and forgiveness into us. So whoever you are, here today, watching by television, whatever your past, whatever your present, no matter what anybody else thinks about you, no matter what you think about yourself, none of these is going to stop God from seeking you out, from loving you, and from drawing you unto himself. But Jesus didn't just engage this woman to preach at her. He didn't hand her a tract and say, you better get saved or you're going to hell. He asked her for a drink of water. Just, just a simple conversation he engaged her. He, he, he entered into with this woman. I want to say something to you. And it's, it's not that a human barrier is, is keeping him from preaching at her because that's not what he does. He says, by entering to this conversation, no barrier is going to keep me from entering into a relationship with you. He began talking to her about everyday things and then eventually guided that conversation toward spiritual things. But he didn't slap her in the face with a tract or a Bible or scripture, and say, you're a sinner. You need to get saved. He wants a relationship. Jesus not only gave to the woman at the well, but he also received from her. 
And sometimes we might excuse ourselves by saying that I'm not worthy to worship God or praise him. I'm not worthy to serve God. How can he use my unclean hands for his purposes, his instruments? And humanly speaking, it would be impossible. But that's the amazing thing about God's grace is he does use us even in the midst of our weakness and sin. He accepts our praise. He accepts our worship. He accepts our service. He's able to use us because of our imperfections and our forgiveness and our acknowledgement of our need for him. If we had to be perfect to lead worship, I wouldn't be up here. John wouldn't be up here. TJ wouldn't be preaching. Nobody would be up front if Somebody had to be perfect to lead worship. We'd be sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back because that'd be the next time we'd have a perfect person standing before us. But God wants to use us now, who we are, where we are, sinners forgiven by his grace. Even as Jesus encountered the woman at the well and she, yeah, she gathered water, you don't have to come to church to encounter Jesus. This is a good place, but it's not the only place. God comes to us in every place in life if we're listening for his voice. If we're willing to receive his grace, he is there seeking us out. I've told you before, it's kind of embarrassing, but I collect antique religious needlepoint. I don't know how I got into it. Years ago, I found an antique religious needlepoint of Noah coming out um, and worshiping God. I have a favorite theme I have found in needlepoint that's 100 to 200 years old is the picture of Jesus and the woman at the well. I guess it strikes a heart chord in people all over the world. But most of the images have Jesus sitting beside the well and the woman standing beside him with a pot on her head or in her arm and Jesus is holding up his hand like this. And it took me a while to figure out what he's doing. He's not saying, stop, don't come any closer. I think he's holding up five fingers to represent five husbands. Jesus does not gloss over her sin. He tells her how to fix it. He tells her what the solution is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He will give her a spring of water that will well up to eternal life because he offers forgiveness. And it says in verse 28 that the woman probably just dropped the pot of water where she was and ran into the city. She left behind what she had come there to do. Maybe she wanted to get back to the city in a hurry and tell as many people as she possibly could about this man whom she perceived to be the Messiah. Or maybe because she found that water that wells up to eternal life, she wouldn't need physical water again. Are you thirsty for God? Have you tried to quench your thirst with something only to find you wanting more? Sometimes I think about salt water and why they tell you when you're thirsty at the ocean not to drink salt water because it just makes you even more thirsty. If you try to satisfy that thirst with anything other than Jesus, it's like drinking salt water. It just leaves you wanting more. Only he 
can fill you. Only Jesus can satisfy that thirst that you have. Only God. Only God. Only God. Bow with me. Father, we do, we do go through this world seeking something <laughs> and we don't even know what it is. And so we buy things and we assert ourselves over others in relationships. We chase a lot of tangible things and accumulate a lot of stuff. And like drinking salt water, it just makes us even more thirsty. Because there is a thirst in each of us that only you can quench. And you have told us so many times, plainly. And maybe we were unable to hear before or unwilling to hear before, but we hear you now. If there's anyone who needs you, now's the time. You seek us with a love that overcomes and tears down every barrier, even those we erect to try to keep you out. We run and we hide, and there you are. There's no place we can go to escape from you. Thank you for a love that will not let us go, for a forgiveness that is able to forgive every sin, and for your presence that's with us always. We come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here am I. Send me a time to respond, number 597. I'll be at the front to receive you, professing your faith, rededicating your life. If you need to join this church, we open the doors. We welcome you. Please come as we stand and sing.